Ba-na-na. Okay. Okay. Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I'm Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any good book that's going to make me cry. Aww. Um, welcome to episode 30, Chelsea. Yay! 30 books, 3% done with the list. It's only taken one year. We're doing real well. <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel like that's pretty decent. There's only 52 weeks in a year. I'm pretty We've read 30 impressed books. with us. Yeah. 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 I think that, you know, we're definitely on pace for our 40 years. Yeah. Which we weren't trying to beat that. That was a so, reasonable goal. Yeah. So we'll, we'll only be uh, 69 when we finish. Totally. Which, oh yeah. God, that just made me feel really old. Yeah. <laughs> well, I recently signed mortgage paperwork for the first time in my life. And that is like, I will pay it off when I am 60, if I was still living there, which is unlikely, yeah. you know, but if I was. And so to have something in my life that's going to take longer than that actually feels, makes me feel a little bit less crazy for borrowing all that money. <laughs> because I'll pay my mortgage off and we'll still be doing this. <laughs> the podcast will outlive your mortgage. Yeah. And that's a nice feeling. I just feel good about that. <laughs> Adulting. <laughs> real fun kids um what have you been reading besides book number 30 um i've been reading nothing sweet uh i went back to school so yeah there's that i sadly haven't been reading anything i um school's back in session when we're recording this it's right after it got back in session uh and it just it's a void you wrote on our show notes today the back to school void and it's a real thing um I'm still working my way through the Naomi Novik book we talked about a couple of weeks ago um and yeah it's just it's slow going over here I feel like yeah in in reading and in like plans and you have a void like in September and like in like May and June Mm -hmm. uh and it's like and now it's like I if we weren't doing the podcast I would never see you during those months but because of the podcast we still still see see each other so that's good yeah no it's a real thing (laughs) Um, I also have, have been having like a weird stage in my reading life because I bought a place and I before I move in in a few weeks, I am trying to fix it up as fast as possible. And so I've been spending every moment that I'm not at work painting, um, which has been mm-hmm. fun and tiring. And so I've only been listening to audiobooks. And I actually listened to book 30 entirely on audio, which I've never done which before for the, pod- done, yeah. for the podcast. But I did listen to one other um, audio book uh, before I started this one um, called Today Will Be Different by Maria Semple, who is the person who wrote Where'd You Go, Bernadette, mm-hmm. um, which I read Where You Go, Bernadette, and I liked it. I don't know if the book is like outstanding, but it's fun because it's set in Seattle and there's a lot of really specific place references in there, you know, mm-hmm. which we like because that's where we live. We love I like, you know, that. Yeah. Um, and this book definitely had that, too. It was very Seattle-y, like it's really heavy Seattle culture dive. Uh, and the, it was pretty good. It was like a good it was a good audio book because it was light, you know, and easy to listen to. And it had a re- uh, reader that I really liked. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah that always makes an audio book. Yeah. Um, well, the book we read this week is The House of Seven Gables. And it is by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And it was published in 1851. This one was published after The Scarlet Letter. So it's a little bit, 
it's not his first novel. His first one that like made, yeah, made it big made it or big. whatever. Yeah. So we it's only about 224 pages, so it wasn't too long. An audiobook that was like 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um what was your one word description of this book? Uh, my one word is gothic, and I was actually thinking about that on the way over here because I realized that when people say like, oh, that novel or that movie or, is really gothic, I don't feel like I really know what it means. Uh-huh. I just like, it's just like a word that you say that makes you sound smart. But I, but if in my mind, what I think it means <laughs> vaguely is the tone of this book. Yeah, like dark and broody. Yeah. And like making you, yeah, like when you think of like a gothic cathedral, mm-hmm. like, yeah, dark. So what's your one word? Um, My one word was penance. Okay. That's, yeah, that's right in there. Um, If we were going to describe this book in one sentence, the quick plot would be the Pinchons and the Mall families are haunted by their past sins in a house that no one can escape. Figuratively, not yes, literally. They can leave, <laughs> but not really. Um, so from here on out, we're going to get into spoiler territory. This book is 170 years old, so you listen Take at your own that risk. Take you will, yeah. <laughs> um, there'll be a time in the show notes if you want to come in and join us for our last segment in case you want to read this first. Yeah, so... Um, more in-depth plot, essentially, the Pynchons and the Mall family have been um, kind of at odds with each other for more than 150 years in the time this novel is being written because um, the Pynchon uh, patriarch, patriarch uh, stole his land from the Mall family through some really quick thinking where he got the Mall patriarch uh, killed in the Salem Witch Trails. So uh, it obviously bred a lot of bad blood, but the last thing that the mall patriarch did before he died was he put a curse Mm -hmm. on the Pynchon family. And so this novel looks at, um, through some flashback kind of things, like storytelling style flashbacks, uh, and through this fast forward 150 years, kind of the story of how that curse has pervaded through the Pynchon family and what they're not doing so hot. Um, at the time the book opens. Yeah, and, and it's centered around that the the patriarch Pinchon, when he gets the land, he builds a house with seven gables, mm-hmm. a big mansion on the land, and then all the generations of the family lived in it. But bad things continue to happen when people just sort of drop dead randomly. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning of the book, you think that the Mall family has kind of died out, or at least the name is gone from the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then there's like following the life of a spinster um, who lives in the house now. Her brother, who was recently released from prison for um, killing their uncle, and has <laughs> seemingly lost his sanity while there. Yes, um, but also I think always was a little bit mm-hmm. strange. And then a cousin, a young woman who comes to stay with them, um, who's like a distant cousin, country yeah. cousin. Um, and when this one young woman comes to join them, she kind of brings some life back into the house. Her name is Phoebe. She brings a lot of life with her. She's, um, doing a lot of good for the brother and helping him kind of be able to make it through his day. She, the old spinster, um, is able to run the store that she's running to keep them afloat more effectively with Phoebe there. And on top of that, Phoebe starts to form a relationship with the boarder who lives in the house. Um, and he is a 
daguerreotypist. Daguerreotypist. Nothing. I had never heard of this before I had to Google it. You didn't know what the daguerreotype was? No. Oh, I've read about it in books before. It's like a tiny little portrait that's like just a few inches Mm -hmm. and you like something you could fit in your pocket. Yeah, and it was pre-regular photography. Yeah, definitely yeah. photography, pre-photography. Um, and so he's a daguerreotypist, and he lives there, and she forms a friendship with him. And through the course of the novel, it turns out that he is the descendant, descendant of the Mall family. Um, and through his actions and falling in love with Phoebe, the curse is broken. Yeah, love, you know, defense all. And then it turns out that he knows the secret to where this, like, lost deed is that would have made the family a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But, and, and it's been missing, and it's because his ancestor hid it from them on purpose as, like, retribution for killing yeah. the patriarch. And so then they all get really rich at the end. It's a very it's very classic. Like, it really comes into a full circle, and all of the details, like, the bad guy dies like his ancestor yeah. died. Exactly. And then all the, like, the family ties together. And they Did, leave the house. And they leave the house, and it's, like, the hole that the house has had on them is broken. Mm-hmm. Did you foresee that twist-ish that that the daguerreotypist was going to turn out to be um, the, from the Mall family? I didn't necessarily see that he was from the Mall family, but I definitely was like, something's up with him. He has some role in this. I did think that the picture was going to play a part in where that stupid letter was. Because the number of times they brought up, oh, and the guy said, don't move the picture. Oh, and he said, don't move the right. picture. So the picture of the picture has been on the wall yeah. in the same spot for 150 years. It's not years. allowed to be moved, and the picture stares at you, and it seems as though it's moving, and yeah. it's kind of tied in with the mesmerism, where, or not the mesmerism, the, uh, what's the word? Mysticism. Yeah. Where, like, the characters in the novel will think the painting is moving, but you can't really tell if they're thinking that or if they're just imagining it. It's... Yeah, the painting has a big. He's kind presence. of the, the presence of the patriarch and the the importance of the family. Yeah, and, their status. and so I knew yeah. something was behind that painting. Yeah, because they kept being like, "And we can never move the painting." Yeah, I never thought about that, but I guess that the daguerreotypist was going to turn out to be a mall because there was one scene where he's like, he's like, "Let Phoebe, like, let me read you this story I wrote. It's kind of a legend based on true facts about uh-huh. the family." Uh, a few generations ago, not all the way back to the patriarch, but kind of in the middle. And he reads this whole story, and it's about how a woman, a man, like basically, like was able to take control of a woman, a mall man, a mall, a man in the mall family, so take control of a pinch on woman um, through like mysticism. And uh, and then at the end, then when he finishes telling the story, like because it kind of so goes off this tangent, tells the story, and then it's like, and then he talks about how she, the current, the present, is, is kind of in a trance, and that if he wanted to, he could have taken control of her will. And then I was like, that's it. He's he's descended. I guess from that I kind line. of started to guess yeah. it then, but I thought that was later in the book. It wasn't as early it's in the book. It wasn't. It's kind of like maybe sixty yeah. percent into it. Yeah. Um. But I and so but I still and it's like. The thing when you're reading a book from the 1800s that if people are still considering it worth reading, Mm -hmm. it likely fathered a lot of other books and like a type of of literature. And so that like it's I mean, I feel like it's fundamentally like a mystery and and it's and almost like it like butts up against like being a thriller, you know. Uh, And so I was like, oh, I feel like it's going to tie together in that way because you can see what books have inherited this book's legacy. Yes, and speaking of which, I, the whole time I was reading this book, all I could think about was the book Holes uh. <laughs> by 
Lewis Sacker, which about three episodes ago I mentioned is one of his other kid books, Sideways Stories from Wayside School, and this is more of a young adult book by him, um, in which it's been made into a movie. It's pretty well known. but Great movie adaptation yes, of a book, yeah. Best, we were saying before this episode, probably the best one ever. Yeah, I, like, it is, really high up. We, yeah. def- we definitely should have mentioned it when we were talking about that before. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. Um, in that book, mm. there's two families that have this feud, this like blood feud over um, a sin from like 200 years ago. And the, the one of families always has, the Yelnats family always has bad luck consistently. And they it's because of the curse and they can never get past it because of the curse. And then the son of that family stumbles upon the son of the other family and they form a friendship and a bond and they end up saving each other and that breaks the curse and all I kept thinking was this book is so much like holes and then I had to be like no 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 holes is like this book yeah isn't that crazy to think that holes is a like literary descendant of a Nathaniel Hawthorne book that's crazy that's so crazy. I didn't think of that at all, but when you said it, I was mind blown. Yeah, <laughs> totally no, like the, the whole time, and the whole time I was like hearing the music from Holes because there's like a song in the movie that goes through, and I was like, <laughs> my brain has literally connected yeah. these two. Wow, I really want to watch that movie now. I think I still have. I think I have that book on my shelf, actually. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Um. So that reminds me that I just wanted to talk about Nathaniel Hawthorne a little bit. So I oh, came okay. into this book pretty biased because. <sighs> Like everyone, we had to read The Scarlet Letter in high school, mm-hmm. and I thought it was terrible. Like, I'm pretty sure when we did Shred This Book, that's the book I said, because yep. it's probably my least favorite book of all time. Um, and I had really, I just like, I like, I just like really like, like blocked it out, like really mm-hmm. terrible. And so I was just like, I guess I have to go into this with an open mind, but I'm not like feeling yeah. positive about it. And I would say this book, I feel like, was a thousand times better than The Scarlet mm-hmm. Letter. And if they're going to make you read a book by this guy in high school, it should be this one. Because this book, I think it, the fact that it is a mystery will make it may, way more interesting to teenagers. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have that like overly like moralistic Puritan, yeah. stuff of the of the Scarlet Letter that and. And like where it's like weird and your teacher's talking about sex and stuff and you're not, yeah. you hate it when you're a teenager. And so I feel like people probably don't pick this up because they had to read The Scarlet Letter or they were supposed to and they didn't, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I was, I think because I set the bar very, very low, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I, I don't dislike The Scarlet Letter, but I liked this one better. Um, I thought that this one was easier to read. I don't know why. It Probably because I listened to a lot of it, a book on tape. I wish I had thought of doing that with high school books. I know. I feel like they weren't as easy to get then because it would have been like actual CDs from yeah. the library, not an automatic download because that didn't exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I felt like having it on audiobook helped a lot. But then also one thing that I'm noticing with this is um, this is kind of a tangent, but then I'll come back. That's fine. Um mm-hmm. Is that a lot of times with these really old books, if I listen to like the first couple chapters in audiobook, it gets the voice of how the book needs to be read mm-hmm. into my head and it makes it a lot easier for me to read it. So I listen to, I would say two thirds of this book on audiobook and I read a section in the middle and then the last 50 pages, um, from the book itself. And it's so much easier to transition into that old kind of language when you've heard someone speaking it 
um, for a while. And so I think that that does something for the reading experience of a book like this. And so I don't really know if I liked it better because of that experience or if I actually like it better than The Scarlet Letter. Yeah, I think I definitely liked it more because I listened to it on audio because it's really descriptive and there are some tangents Mm -hmm. in it. And just like probably in the book, pages and pages describing one thing you yeah. know um but because i just had it on audio and i was painting away mm-hmm. you know and i would just be you know i might be have painted a whole room and he's still they're still talking about how the body looked in front of the fireplace but oh, it like God. didn't matter because i was i was still absorbing it i was listening but i was but it helped to be doing something else mm-hmm. versus if i was just reading it i think it would have been like blah 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 and just like skip through it because it was so it would have been so wordy mm-hmm. but that's what i would expect from a book from this era yeah um but I think the audio really surprised me and the effect that it had on me. And and because it also just, because I was dreading this book in particular, I think it would have been hard to get me to sit down to read, read it. it. But I was just putting it on in the background while I was getting stuff done. And um, it made a big difference. And so I feel like books before 1900, I might just need to listen to an audio from the podcast. Yeah, or at least do part in part. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's super, it's super helpful. And then... As long as you stopped at a chapter break, you can always find it in the audio again. Yeah, yeah, you can always find um, it. Again. Yeah, so. Um, I was, do you have something you want to say? Go. I don't know. I was thinking. Yes, oh, what would you like to say I was going to say, say I thought we should talk a little bit about the themes of the book. I know yeah. you don't like to dig meaning out of books, Chelsea. But I feel like there's a very, like, the central theme of this book is guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, like, the guilt guilt can be passed down generationally in a family beyond the people who committed the act that are we're guilty and like things can be passed down like that which i totally think is true um and other things too not just guilt but mm-hmm. like things can be passed down generationally and pat and patterns and and that um i really i think i've said this on the podcast before but i really love the idea that like and i think to some degree it's clue, true maybe not as much as it is in books but like that characteristics are passed down in families you know uh-huh. and then i and i also think this book strongly condemns greed because the mm-hmm. character whose de- whose death kind of mirror, mirrors the patriarch's character the judge who's a pinchon um, in the present of the book he um he basically dies because even though he's already really rich he still wants more money uh-huh um and then he lo- and then he, after his death, his son dies, and then all his money goes to people that weren't, you know, yeah. his who he wanted. And so it's like you can't take it with you. Like why toil and toil um, for money? And so I think yeah, guilt and greed, I would say, are really in there. Yeah. And, and I think it is saying something um, fundamental about those about those two things that is, I think, what you know. Really and common. I think yeah. it's interesting because I don't think a lot of novels. No, I mean, a lot of novels we're reading lately because this podcast have had this idea. So I think I probably need to stop saying I don't think novels do this. But this book looked kind of at um, how people who are removed from a sin or a, a mistake or something by generations, how the guilt from that can still be there. Um, Mm -hmm. And it did it in a way that was definitely, it was a digging for the meaning kind of way. But it definitely examined that a lot. And I was just looking at the preface, um, the note at the front of the book, and it has a quote from Hawthorne that says, it is a truth and it would be a very sad one, but for the higher hopes, which it suggests that no great mistake, whether acted or endured in our moral sphere is ever really set right. 
time the continual vicissitude of circumstances and the invariable inopportunity of death render it impossible. If after long lapse of years the right seems to be in our power, we can find no niche to set it in. Which I feel like in all the books that we're reading where we're talking about the themes of like post-colonialism and the effects of that, that's what we've ultimately mm-hmm. said is that we this can't really be set right. Yeah. We're always going to live with the consequences of that. And I think that's kind of what this yeah, book is Yeah, and about. that this book wasn't looking at like a, a big, big issue like that. It was looking like land ownership. But still, it, it mean, touched on that on a smaller scale because that is kind of a measure of something that we go – through every day as humans on the big overarching world scale and on the small right because that that like I have power I have more power in the situation so I can do whatever mm-hmm. I want to get to get at, to get what I want the means justify the ends mm-hmm. or you know like the ends justify the means versus yeah that. uh that I think that's like fundamental on a personal level and a global scale right yeah. it's a human issue um so yeah so I, I found the like the theme actually surprisingly interesting and relevant still. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't feel like out of all the things I've ever read in my life, this is the book that's made me think about those themes the most. But because it's from 1851, it feels like, oh, because this book was written, I've read other things in this Yeah, and genre. it's interesting because we, when we talked about Crime and Punishment, we talked a lot about how we thought it was a really good book to put on the list because it looked at crime and guilt and all of that. And it was probably unique for its yeah. time. But then this is from roughly close to the same, close to the same different time countries, period, but close different to the same. countries. And yeah. they're looking at the same thing. And so um, I think something I'm realizing is that maybe I might be selling author short from 200 years ago and thinking they couldn't write something that would touch on these issues because they had so many other issues going on in their world but um just because you're living in a society that still has slaves or that is doing all this stuff doesn't mean that you don't have a moral compass it's just skewed and so the people from 200 years ago could access this idea of what is guilt and what does it mean yeah and I think that comes out of like our like thinking that way about past authors comes out of like a fundamental psychological fact that humans always think that the time that they're living in is the most important time in human history that it's the end last days you know if you believe that kind of thing that things are the both the best and the worst they've ever been in your current time that it's just that you're living at the epoch of history you know and I think but people in 1851 thought that too yeah and so and it's it's that's it's long enough ago that it's too easy to be like humans then are fundamentally different than humans now but I think the fact is is that they're fundamentally the same Mm -hmm. they're shaped by their environment and we're shaped by our environment we live in a world now that has slaves yeah you know like things just look they look different but they're also the same yeah you know and uh yeah and so I think we probably are discounting you know other writers but and I I find it very comforting and like I don't know I find something good in that that like oh like you're not so you person who was alive in 1851 are not we if we met now mm-hmm. and we could communicate we probably could find something in common which certainly means that I should be able to find something in common with someone who's alive now yeah. in a country far away from here I, I never thought about it like that yeah that's a yeah. cool idea too um the other thing about this book is that it's very proud to be about New England yeah so many times he's like she the she is a perfect New England woman or a New Englandish quality a sunset that you could only see in New England. Yeah, the character of her heart that you could only have in a New England girl. Like 
all the time. And I kind of like loved it because it felt snarky, even though it wasn't intended to be snarky. But I just, yeah. No, it made me smile. (laughs) I thought that that was funny too. Yeah. He definitely was proud of being from Massachusetts. Yeah. And (laughs) it's just, and I feel like I don't know if New England has that much of a unique Mm -mm. identity i think it still has some just like every region has some yeah probably most the south right as a unique region in the united states and like the west coast kind of has this thing and like but i but i just like i feel like i don't think about new england as like such a separate special thing thing, but yeah in this era i think really still feeling that like we came here as puritans I mean, that's our culture. All the other places were still territories and like just starting to become states. And yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was surprised by how much I liked this book. I thought, I mean, I don't have a lot of big feelings about it, which I feel like we've had a couple of books in a row where I'm like, I don't have a ton of big feelings. Um, but and do you ever wonder how much that is like the book and how much is just like your current emotional state? I know. Cause sometimes I'm just like, I don't know if I'm just, yeah, feeling blah in general or yeah, it's, just, it's just tired. I don't, know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I thought that it was a good book. I, I thought that, um, it fits in with other books we've read that people have put, that are on this list that um that are on not our list personally yet but the one thousand one books well, to read that before they you are die. putting on the thousand one books before you to read before you die list um exploring humanity doing it through um the lens of a certain time period and a certain um situation but still having overarching ideas about the world mm-hmm. at large um. I thought it was, it's again, as we keep reading this books, it's really cool how we can connect them back to other books because this book had a lot about mesmerism in it um, that Nicole talked to Sean earlier and it made me think of Alias Grace and the mesmerism in Alias Grace and um, S- how... Set in the same era. Set in the yeah. same era. And so then I was like, I wonder what um, mesmerism really was in the 1850s and it'll probably be something I Googled tonight. And so I really <laughs> feel like it's, I just constantly am surprised by how much um, reading these books feels like it's enriching a lot of things that I never even realized before. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, I was going to say one more thing about this book. What was it? Mm. (laughs) I was like, like, I I thought it was like, oh, we didn't touch on this when you were talking. And now I can't think of what it was. Salem Witch Trials, Stealing Land. No, that's all right. It's not <laughs> Cut that part out. Uh, no, I'm going to leave it in. Oh, great. Just great. <laughs> great. So you can see my uh, brain not working. Um, yeah. yeah. I also was surprised by this book and how that I did like it. You know, like it, I think it was really surprised me. I don't know if I'm going to think about this book when we're on book 100, but I feel like, like you said, this the same way with Crime and Punishment. I like this book to read. It was way more readable for me mm-hmm. than Crime and Punishment. And the thing is, is that Crime and Punishment was a bear to read, but I'm really proud to have read it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the episode is one of the best episodes. Yeah. And and I think this book is the same in that, like. And I, do you want feels, two books in the same vein on the list? I don't think that, but I don't think they're the same yeah. vein in tone. And they're not from the same True. part of the world. Oh, that was something else I wanted to say. This house really exists. Oh, that's what I was, was going to say. House that's exists. what I was going to say. Um, the House of Seven Gables is a real house in whatever town. Um, in New England. <laughs> New England, where New, where 
Nathaniel Hawthorne was when he was writing it. It was owned Which by is a so family crazy. member. And yeah. so he wrote a story about this house. So I'm 90. It's a historical site now. So oh. this is the on our books. I'm pointing to the book as if you can see it. On our books, it's a picture of the real House of Seven Gables oh. because it's a historical landmark now. Interesting. That's so crazy. So people I, could visit it. I definitely thought it was like a made up place because they... This is a book where the house is really a character in the book. Yeah, no. And it's very it's very alive and and it's like a holder of memory, you know? And like it's very uh literally and figuratively haunted. Um uh-huh. in the book. And so it's I find it really interesting that it wasn't just a creation of his imagination. Yeah, no, it's based off a real house and mm, then podcast field trip. Yeah, when they <laughs> Let's got- go next fall <laughs> when the leaves are changing. When are when we're the beautiful New England. In New England. Well, yeah, which uh, is so great. <laughs> maybe we can see a New England lass. Like yeah. they kept talking about. They didn't use the word lass though. No. <laughs> girl. girl. Like mostly girl. Uh but yeah, so it's a real house. It's a real historical so landmark. Great. And I thought that was really cool. And I nerded out about that a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right. So I guess we're here to the fundamental question. Do we think this is a book that everyone on this planet should read before they die? Before we answer this question. Okay. Here's what I'm struggling with when we're making our choices. Is a thousand of books is a lot to wrap your head around. Sure. And I'm like, for my canon of the thousand one books you should read before you die. You don't want that list to be too long. But does it, is it really going to be a thousand books? You well, know what I mean? right now, if you look at what we put on the list in the last 30 books, we're at about 50% that we put on the list, at least one of us. And so that means that our list would be, if we kept at the same rate at 500, which is still probably too long. In 40 years, 39 years, uh-huh. when we get to that far, I feel like we can, you know, we'll have our list and we can say what post it and stuff, well, you know, or put a hologram of it in the yeah. world or whatever we're going to do in 40 years, you know, like real nerds. And I feel like we should have to cut it down to like 25 books. Yeah. That, and like that's this, because most people are not going to read 500 books or a thousand or a hundred. You know, yeah, it feels like we're starting to curate a list. Our, well, our, uh, but like we're paring down something that someone gave us and making it um, into something. More I hate manageable. to tell you this, but that's the premise of the podcast. No, I know. <laughs> but um, I guess the more books we get in, the more I'm like, oh, as I'm paring it down, um, how am I deciding what goes on the list and what doesn't? Because I do think I found value in this book. Well, I do think it added to the like ethos that I'm building as we're making these a thousand one books, the books that I'm adding to the list, this fits in with the books that I've been adding to the list. But when we get to the point later on, is it going to be one that I guess I'm struggling with? um, At what point is it about the individual books or is it about the idea you're building with for the these list? Books? Oh, so I see. So is it that we have a list of an, an, any number of books that they're all good books that have value in the world that we think people mm-hmm. should read. They should pick amongst those ones. If they were going to read out of the 1001, yeah. we think you should pick out of these 400 or whatever. Um, or is it about, is our curated list making a statement of some yeah. kind? That's, I mean, I think fundamentally, no matter how many books on our list, it is going to be making a statement as mm-hmm. our values as to American white women in their early 30s. Yeah. You know, like that's always going to be in there. Early 30s to early 60s, you know. Yeah, later, you know, in our 60s or whatever. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but I, so I think that will happen. But it's like, how much do we want to drive it to make yeah. that? Um, 
I think it will happen naturally. But here's the thing. I kind of think we should keep putting the books on the list, regardless of the length of the list for now, um, based on our existing criteria of like, is it, does it contribute something to a genre? Is it, you know, say something fundamental about human nature? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even think of it. Is it just really fun read? Like mm-hmm. it's a worthwhile read? Um, kind of ethereal reasons we put yeah. books on the list. And then I think it like, and right now at every 20 books we've been reviewing, do we still want to leave on a list? I, and then I feel like at book 100, when mm-hmm. we're reviewing, then I think we cut, we, we cut, yeah we cut hardcore and then we can maintain like these are the, you know, and then we kind of have the parallel. Fix your mic. It moved up too high, dig. And then we could kind of have the parallel. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I feel like it's too soon book 30 to be mm-hmm. like, oh, we're only, we're only one a hundred books because all the best hundred books could be in the last on books 900 to a thousand. Or they all could be now. We will, yeah, there's no, there's know. no way to know. So all right. So we have to decide. Okay. Well, then I know what I'm going to say. Is this a book we should read before, everyone should read before they die? One, two, three. three. Yes. yes. I can't believe I'm putting Nathaniel Hawthorne ha. book on the damn list because I really hated him until this. Um, but I def- I'm proud of you. I know. I feel like I'm putting on there because I think if this is a big canon American author and I think if you're going to read something by him it should be this book is Scott mm-hmm. Letter on this list because I, don't I know. can't do it <laughs> or maybe I should do it after reading maybe this. you should listen to it yeah I don't know if I have a lot of time for that <laughs> if it's on the list if it's on the list I'll listen to it but I'm not going to read it otherwise oh yeah me. I don't think you have to read it otherwise you've already read it yeah just like a long time um, ago. And so I think I'm putting it on for that reason and because of the themes and the foundational and the genre of, of like mystery stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm putting it on the list because I feel like it did it. I feel like it um, was kind of a unique look at like the, the feelings in it, the gothicness. I, I do agree. This book is what I would say for gothic. Um, like, how dark it was and how it was looking at sins of the past meet sins of the future. I really just feel like that is very canon for me for being on this list. And I think that um, it did a good job of talking about that. And it's the other books we've talked about. It haven't been based in the United States. So it was a United States based kind of book for that. And so, yeah, that's fair. All right. So should we move on to our next segment? Yeah. So we thought that since this book is gothic and it's October, we could talk a little bit about Halloween and mesmerism and magic. And spooky books and and all that good kind of stuff. Are you a horror book reader, Chelsea? Um, I've read some like, you know, Gone Girl, like the ones that were really big. Thrillers, yeah. Thrillers. I don't really do things that go bump in the night yeah i've read i've read gone girl i think i only will read a thriller if it's like a bestseller like that Mm -hmm. and it's everywhere and i've read two stephen king novels in my life only one of which i feel like would count as horror the stand yeah um and nothing else because i'll never ever i'll never ever pick that out in fact the shining is on the list and i'm like oh i feel like it's gonna be really scary when when it comes time to read read with the lights on Yeah. yeah i i just i don't pick out those kind of books I feel like in terms of like creepy books like I can handle vampires I can handle like werewolves things that are very obviously not real um but even though I 
don't really believe in ghosts and I don't believe in like a lot of the stuff that's in those other books, when it feels too realistic, it's too creepy. Yeah. Like because your brain, when you're half asleep or when you're sitting in the dark reading, can convince you that yeah. that's something that could conceivably happen. Where if it's a vampire book, I'm like, well, no shit, there's no vampires. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I'm definitely more apt to pick up a book that's more about like magical magic or you know yeah vampires like yeah. that kind of book that's like totally i know isn't can't possibly be real but it's fun to think about and versus even sometimes like, yeah. like books about like witches when they veer too f- far towards like the mesmerism and towards like the mysticism they creep me out oh. like i like my witches and wizards like harry potter <laughs> yeah not not close to wicca or whatever. yeah like yeah. that it, like yeah i find it too I find it too creepy for my overactive imagination. It's too easy to come up with dreams that are creepy. Sure. For yeah. that. So I'm not I'm not into those kind of books. Yeah, I'm yeah, I am curious whenever we do read The Shining, whether it be this year or in 15 years or or 40. Uh-huh. Um, if I'll like it cuz I feel like I might like it. And then what if I'm like, why haven't I been reading these kind of yeah. books? Yeah. It's also I I've, I've read Frankenstein, classic the I haven't. foundational of fantasy horror and horror, which I which was really good. Um, I also love it because the person who wrote that book, Mary Shelley, she basically wrote it because she was with she was married to like somebody really famous, Byron, I think, famous writer, mm-hmm. and her and some other famous writer and him were like together, and she was and basically like kind of like the Tumblr joke is just like oh these oh, these, like, pompous men and their poetry, uh-huh. and I'm going to write my own thing. They think I can't do it. And then she, like, invented an entire genre of fantasy. Oh, yeah. that's kind of As, like, cool. a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, that's pretty snazzy. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I haven't really read... In terms of, like, actual straight-up horror, I don't think I've read anything. Yeah. I have read... Uh, oh, God, I'm not going to be able to think of them now. I listened to... They're a YA, but like on the border of adult series that's been coming out. And there's three books. That's like a thousand YA. <laughs> I know. There's going to be more than three. There's just three right now. Um, and it's about like Chicago in the 1900s. And there's a, um, a bad guy who's coming through, but it's like kind of like supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. Like he's like kidnapping people and taking parts of their bodies to bring himself to resurrection. And it was too creepy for me. Like I listened <laughs> to the whole book, not because I was enjoying it, but because I needed to get it out of my head because it was so creepy. Cause like he sings a song when he's doing it. And I was listening well, that's to That's worse it. on audio then. And yeah. I was listening to an audio book. <laughs> and so then I'd be like, in my day, I'd be like, what am I humming? Oh, my God, I'm humming the freaking song oh, from the creepy guy creepy. in this book. Yeah. <laughs> and I did not like it. I wish I could think of what it was called um, because it's really popular. And if people are into that, it's really well done. Um, but it was just too much I can't me. believe. I just feel like I'm surprised that you don't read horror, but you can read all those cancer books because I feel like that's like that those kind of books do the same thing to me where I think about what if someone I love gets cancer and it has the same like nightmare causing effect. I don't know why that doesn't affect me. <laughs> Cause that's more real than someone coming and taking people's body yeah, parts out of themselves. You know, it is. <laughs> it's like a more re- a real terrifying thing that can happen. Um, I'm not Have sure. you ever dressed up as Halloween as a book character? I've been Belle. 
Nice. Um, You've been Dorothy, right? Been That's Dorothy, a book. Wizard yeah. of Oz. Um, I've been Belle. I've been Dorothy. I mean, we we've been the um, fairies from Sleeping Beauty. Oh yeah, we were the, us and friend of the podcast Amanda were the three fairies from Sleeping Beauty. Those yeah. were really fun costumes. Those were really fun. Um, yeah, I think that's my only book fa- fairy tale any like story related ones. Yeah, I don't think I've ones. done anything else that's been like fairy tale themed or book themed. So not a lot. I do. Do you? What do you tend to read around Halloween? Do you read creepier things or no? Because a lot of people that I follow. On like Bookstagram or on Booktube, read creepier things around Halloween. But I just like I tend to read fantasy in like October and November and December, or I tend to read like longer books because it's dark outside, so you're gonna be reading more. But I don't think I read creepy books. Yeah, I don't think it affects my um, reading like at all. I would say only that like in the fall and the winter. I'm more likely to read a cla- long classic novel, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but that's it. I don't think it, I don't, because I don't read in that genre, you yeah. know? So I don't, yeah. I I have a desire to someday read Dracula. I think I could handle um, Dracula. Is that on the list? I don't know. We should look. <laughs> Something to check. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I feel like we're like, let's talk about Halloween. Oh, we don't read these books at all, neither of us. <laughs> We just went on a little tangent about how we are not celebrating those things. But, But, you know, if you are, this will give you a good reminder. It's interesting because it is a big, like, kind of gateway genre for a lot of people to read um, books. And so I'm all for it if it gets people reading. I I just can't do it. Same reason I can't watch murder shows on TV. (laughs) I don't – I, like, I can't. Yeah. So – yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But I think that it's important because a lot of people do really like those books. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's true. All right. Should we draw our book for next time? Okay. I'm drawing book 31. It's called The Last Chronicle of Barset. So. It's about a basset hound traveling <laughs> the world. Time traveling. I think a basset hound. Yes. A time traveling basset hound. does sound like a basset hound. I feel like this is also a book from the 17 or 1800s, which it is great because I am going to definitely listen to this one on audio too while I'm painting. So, <laughs> so that'll be good. But I have a feeling that, and I have a feeling it's like about someone's life from beginning to end. Yeah. A chronicle. Yeah. Of a basset hound. Of a bass, hopefully of a bass and hound that lives in like yeah, eighteen forty four. That'd be pretty great. It'd I hope like, it's a book about a village from the perspective of like the mailman's bass and hound. It'd be like Wishbone, <laughs> but from a bass <laughs> Yeah, maybe this is where Wishbone came from. Is this book? Yes. And that's why the people who made the list put it on the list because it's the foundation. Yes, of Yes, that'd be pretty great. Um, <laughs> I think the odds are not very likely, but. <laughs> No, we're loopy tonight. <laughs> oh, God. The tired's getting to us. Well, with that note, we should probably start heading out. But while you're waiting for your next dose of us, you can find us on our social media accounts. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at 1001BooksPod or Litzy at 1001BooksPodcast or email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, happy, happy reading! reading.